Welcome back to Christian Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Rogers, and this is the podcast where we discuss all things outdoors and how we can enjoy God every day. And welcome back to Christian Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Rogers, and this is episode number 47. And I'm really excited that you have joined me today here on Christian Outdoors Podcast. I have a, a, an excellent guest coming on in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, I wanted to announce some big news. I just released another new book. It is available currently on Amazon, will be available on other platforms real soon, and it's called The Hunting Club Bible. Everything that you need to know about starting and maintaining a successful hunting club. So I put this book together after spending months of research and talking with uh, hunting club managers, hunting club members all across the country, and and really tried to put together a manual for the readers. And, and where this came about was some buddies of mine and I were talking about starting a hunting club. And so being the research nut that I am, I started looking for anything out there that would say, what do I need to do from the beginning? You know, I mean, how do, how do you start? What's the first thing that you do? Do you need to get land first? Do you need to get insurance? Do you need to find members? I mean, what do you need to do? What is the process? And I couldn't find anything out there. And so uh, being a writer and, and uh, um, you know, they say the mother of invention is necessity, needing some kind of manual, I decided to put one together. So I spent months researching this, again, talking with many people out there, and, and I really hope it's going to be something that will be very beneficial to people who were either thinking about starting a hunting club or are currently in one and want to find a way to make it better. I mean, we talk about a lot of different topics some of the topics that we talk about in uh, the Hunting Club Bible include history of hunting clubs in America, what is a hunting club, and we define that in detail. Why do you want to start one? How do you start a hunting club? How do you find land? Do you want to lease it or buy it? How do you go about finding the land that you want to hunt? How do you go about finding good members? What kind of leadership styles do you want to have? How do you set your rules and your regulations and bylaws? Setting goals, setting fees. Handling conflict in your club. What do you do when some of your members are breaking the rules? We talk about safety and a lot of other items in this book. One that I believe will be very beneficial to anyone who is considering starting a hunting club or or is currently in one and they just want to make it better. All this is covered in this book. And and again, it's, it's not one of these books that is put together as a pleasure read. It is more of a manual, a step-by-step process of what you need to do to start a successful hunting club or to maintain a successful hunting club. Now, having said that, one of the things I really tried to do was to make this so it was not unique to hunting clubs. But this same model will work for fishing clubs, for sportsmen's clubs, for hiking clubs, for anything where where people are pooling their resources together in order to have a shared experience. So so while the title is uh, the Hunting Club Bible, I believe it can really be, be used for any type of sportsman's club out there, uh, an organization. So again, it's called the Hunting Club Bible. It's available on Amazon for only twelve ninety nine. It's paperback version. Uh, the ebook version for those of you who are e readers will be coming out in the next uh, probably 
after the holiday of Labor Day coming up. It should be out the first or second week of September. The ebook will be available. So check it out, look it up, and uh, and I hope that you'll like it. So now, having said that, I'm really excited to have with me a guest today who is a fellow podcaster. His name is Tyler Pruitt, and he is host and founder of Rise, Kill, Eat podcast. It's a podcast show designed to be a resource for those who loved the pursuit of God, freedom, and the great outdoors. In Tyler's native state of Kentucky, he prioritizes his relationship with Jesus and his family and views his hunting and outdoor lifestyle as a means of furthering those relationships. The Rise, Kill, Eat podcast was founded with the idea of wanting to be a voice for people who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and pursue wildlife through hunting, fishing, stewardship, cooking, and camaraderie. As you can see, Tyler and I share a passion for enjoying the outdoors and enjoying Jesus and enjoying God every day. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. Uh, he was uh, very kind to have me as a guest on his show, and and I don't, I'm not really sure when that one will that episode will be airing, but I'm excited to have him on my show. And so, so without any further delay, welcome Tyler Pruitt to the show. Well, I appreciate it, Pete. That's a, that's a really good in, introduction there. I, I, that was, that was awesome. I, I appreciate that. Well, you wrote it. So, it <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I do. I do appreciate you being on or allowing me to be on. See, we're, I got to flip the script here. Yep. Allow me to be on that, uh, the Christian Outdoors podcast. It's certainly a pleasure and, and I'm humbled by the opportunity. So thank you so much. Well, you're quite welcome. Just so the listeners know, um, Tyler and I kind of hooked up because we had a common guest on the show. We've had several common guests, but one in particular, Mr. Tony Smotherman, is who yes. told me about your podcast, and uh, and I and I think he told you about me as well. And so I decided, you know what, he and I are 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 trying to do the pretty much the exact same thing. So we might as well pull our resources and let's and let's talk about it together so that we can you know maybe help each other and help further the message that we're trying to to get out there and that is you know to enjoy the outdoors and to enjoy god so tell me uh tyler if you would just a little bit about yourself to give the listeners uh um, some history of who you are and then we'll jump into into uh your life and then to your podcast yeah definitely definitely thank you so much um yeah so i am the host and founder of the rice Kelly podcast that was something that founded i guess at this point about a year and a half ago um and it was, you know, it was birthed from the idea of just exactly what you said was to, to mesh the two worlds of faith in Christ and uh, hunting. I mean, those are two things that I'm really passionate about. So I wanted to be a voice for people who have those same kind of passions and that kind of thing. And I know that's something that you also is uh, uh, prioritizing in your platform as well. But that's, uh, that's kind of my little side gig that I do. But full time, I'm a teacher. <clears throat> so we were kind of talking before, <clears throat> excuse me talking before um, that, you know, right now is we're in the midst of kind of getting the school year started. And it's a little crazy because this is probably the, the weirdest beginning to a, a school year that I've ever experienced. Now, I've only been in in the, the teaching career for a few years, and this is certainly one that is going to be one to remember. And so that's something that I do full time. I am married. I've been married for just over eight years. Had to make sure I got that right. Don't want to get in trouble there. So been married for just over eight years. We have two beautiful, healthy kids. I have a six-year-old little boy, a four-year-old little girl, and ready to get out into the woods here in Kentucky. That's my my home state, born and raised in Kentucky. And we have our uh, 
archery season opening up this weekend. So I'm sitting on the edge of my seat getting ready for that. I bet you are. I bet you see ours oh, yeah. is already open, but it's already a hundred degrees and I just <laughs> cannot endure. I mean, today the heat index was one Oh two. I just, I can't, I can't sit there and enjoy it when I'm just pouring sweat yeah. when I'm not even moving. I'm just sitting there, you know, and uh, right. the thermocells are going to keep the mosquitoes off of you. I just, it has to cool off a little bit just for me to be able to enjoy it. Right. It, it is hard to hunt whitetails this time of year. I do like the early September setups though, just because mm-hmm. the, the bucks, especially they are still on their summer patterns. You know, That's if right. you're lucky enough to try to find one that has some velvet on it still, I mean, of course, it varies depending on the area and the deer, of course. But if you can find one with velvet, then, you know, that's always something that is uh, rare, you know, for a lot right, of people. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, that, that is something, though, like you were saying, that the heat is something that is uh, is hard to work with. Fortunately for us, we kind of have a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a cool front coming in this weekend. We had some rain this morning. And uh, we've got, I think right now, the forecast is saying it's going to be in the upper 70s. So oh, that, that I'd, be, coming yeah, down. I'd be all out there then. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So I'll yeah, be out there dove, doing a little bit of dove hunting and a little bit of deer hunting this weekend. So I'm excited. Our dove season opens Saturday. So I'll be going to do that when my brother always uh, makes a really good dove shoot. And so I'll be going down there Saturday. It's an afternoon only the first two days here in South Carolina. So we'll be hitting the field about, about quarter till four and we shoot for a couple of hours and uh, it usually takes me the full time limit. He allows to get my 15 birds. I brought, <laughs> I'm taking six boxes of shells with me, Tyler, cause that's how bad of a shot. I I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I'm not a, a, a box of bird. I'm a, Two boxes, a bird. Oh, guy, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just my lay down and just scare them, I guess. That's right. That's why they call it a dove shoot and not a dove kill, you know. Cause that's I, right. I just keep them flying for everybody else. I think uh, a couple of years ago, I actually counted. It was 53 shots where I actually killed one. And uh, that's oh, yeah. a little worse than normal. Last year, I got my limit in, uh, in under three boxes. Um, so I was really proud of that. But uh, I get too excited and I just start shooting, you know, I just, mm-hmm. I do, I do. But anyway, we didn't hear talk about that. So that's all. Uh, <laughs> the, that's great. That's great. So tell me what was your launching pad into the outdoors and have you always been involved in it? Like did you grow up in a hunting family or it was something you took to yourself or what? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I got into hunting a little bit later in life. I didn't necessarily grow up doing it. Um, whenever I was about, I don't know, probably 12, 13, years old we my family now we moved to a uh it was a 67 acre farm in like north central kentucky so uh we were renting a house on on a little piece of property and the the owners of the property gave us hunting permissions to be able to hunt on the land so my dad he of course he had um grown up hunting and that kind of thing off and on so once we moved on this farm we saw an opportunity to be able to take me out and be able to learn how to how to hunt as well and he did, he was primarily a whitetail hunter. Like he didn't really have a whole lot of knowledge as far as hunting any other kind of animals. So hmm. he kind of taught me, uh, you know, how to set up on on whitetails, how to use trail cameras, and you know, uh, all those kind of things. And that was I think I was thirteen whenever I shot my first deer. I had a doe that was coming in. It was actually I'm pretty sure it was our free youth weekend that we have here in Kentucky at the, at the end of the year, I think it's usually around the end of December, we have a free youth weekend where uh, mm-hmm. kids that are 12 or to 15 years old, they have a free weekend where they don't have to buy a license or whatever. And right, get out and right, right. So I think it was actually that weekend 
whenever I, um, I had been watching a couple of does that were coming into our corn, our uh, corn pile that we had. And um, I knew they were coming in between eight and nine and I pulled the trigger at eight 33 in the morning. And <laughs> that was my, that was my first deer I'd ever shot. And ever since that point, like that was when I realized like, this is something I really need to get into. I need to continue to pursue because right. this is uh, I mean, this is a pretty cool. And of course we ate, backstrap that night and was just added to the to the whole experience in general just because you know to see an animal and be able to have the opportunity to 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 shoot it and kill it ethically in a way that of course is going to be quick and then have it for dinner that night you know and be able to feed mom dad or sister i mean that was uh that was such a cool experience and it was something Mm -hmm. that really kind of kind of propelled me into wanting to to get out and hunt more of course growing up too like that he would uh, of course take us fishing and everything i mean i i I remember being four or five six years old out by the the bank of the creek going out and fishing for bluegills and catfish and stuff so i mean some being outside and being in the outdoors was something that my my parents they always involved me in but it really once i got into hunting that was just a kind of a different kind of ball game compared to to fishing at least fishing around here and um it was a it was, it was a really cool experience. I knew I had to get into it even more. Right. So what did you shoot that first deer with? It was a Marlin 3030 gold trigger. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a, I love that thing. It was a lever action. Yeah. And um, it was, it was awesome. I, I still remember this, at the feeling that morning loading it up and going out. Cause I went out by myself oh, and okay. I went out by myself cause it was, uh, a, the stand was right around the ridge from our house. So I went out. That's by what I was going to ask. Was this like out. a ladder stand or a, a climbing stand or. Yeah, it was a, it was a little oh. ladder stand that we had, okay. had put up and yeah. And then I remember loading it that morning and being as nervous as I don't know what. And of course, when she stepped out, I, I'm pretty sure I ended up scoping my forehead because I was, <laughs> I was so close to the scope and, but I didn't even think about it just because I was so excited to see her right. fall. So it was right. a, it was a really cool experience. That's awesome. That is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I love to hear people tell, tell the story of getting their first animal, whether it's yeah. a deer or a squirrel or a dove, whatever it is, because it's something that, that they tell with such excitement and such passion and such, they're almost giddy when they get to talk about it again, because they're reliving that moment that just yeah. captivated them in, in such a way. That's really cool. Now I want to clarify for the listeners out there that baiting is legal in Kentucky. Yes, okay. Yes, you talk about your corn, and it's legal here too. It's legal in a lot of states, you know. Yeah. And and um, um, we're not going to get into the ethics of that or whatever. But it is a right. it, it is a legal way to do it, and a lot of people do it. And and so and I love it personally for the reason that you said is that mm-hmm. here's a young person getting involved in the sport, and they they see animals because nothing can ruin a young hunter quicker than boredom. You sit there year after year after year or hunt after hunt to hunt and never see anything, you know, but, and that's why I love, love the legal baiting in those states is because it, it helps the, the novice to be able to experience the excitement of seeing game. Having said that, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Fortunately at the time, uh, CWD isn't really, it's not an issue here in Kentucky. Right. So the whole baiting, as far as the, the sharing the mites and all that kind of thing, it's, it's not something that we have going on and hopefully it stays that way. So yeah, like you were saying, it's, it's legal and it's something that a lot of people take advantage of. And because of that, like you were saying, it is a, a way to, to have animals come in and see them more mm-hmm. often. That, that's right. 
That's right. And, and it really shows our, our age difference. Uh, Tyler, when you said that your dad was teaching about hunting, about how to run game cameras and all that. And I thought, <laughs> I said, Whoa, game cameras. <laughs> that's new to the game here. You know, <laughs> as far as yeah, I, I think I, that was, uh, yeah. I think that was 2005 whenever I, I shot that deer. So okay. I'm 28 okay. now. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh yeah. That's very new. Cause I'm in my 42nd year of hunting. Um, so, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm old enough to be your dad here. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm 56. So, so I definitely am. And, and, yeah, but it's, it's interesting to hear from a younger person to say, when I started, this is how I started. And this mm-hmm. was the, the norm of the day, you know, cause when I go back and think of the norm, uh, we were just getting deer stands. I mean, we were hunting from the ground a lot or sitting on limbs. I did that a lot, climb trees and just sit on the limb. You know, no safety harness, no belt, no, no, just climb up and sit on a limb and, and hope that you could be still enough and comfortable long enough that you could see something. And, and I've killed several deer sitting on limbs of cedar trees, just climb up the cedar tree and just sit there. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how, cause I can't be still at that, that those limbs hurt. <laughs> Give it about just, 30 minutes to an hour or so. That's about all. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that is it. Yes, it is. So, uh. So well, you kind of answer my next question about, about when you started hunting. So you said that but when you took that first deer, it just really, it, mm-hmm. uh, you just got hooked, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. And it was, a it was an experience that of course I'm, I'm hoping to be able to share with my son this year. He, like I said, he's six years old. He'll be seven in October. Mm-hmm. And we're, um, we have, we're watching a little seven point buck right now on the, on our hunting property that I'm hoping that he'll be able to take with his crossbow okay. this fall. So, and uh it's something i'm hoping to to pass down to him but yeah that's like you were saying though it's it's you become almost giddy whenever you you're thinking about the the whole situation because mm-hmm. it just brings back so many memories from you know <clears throat> getting into the process of hunting and of course you know the whole i mean it really is a process there's a whole uh there's a whole world behind it that a whole lot of people don't see a lot of people think it's just the the killing that we're we're doing there's there's way more to it than just that I think just recognizing that process and just it, it just brings a certain amount of of satisfaction being able to you know take a deer and be able to feed the family through hard work mm-hmm. and diligence just like it, it really Proverbs does says. Yeah, yeah it it really does just like I was telling my son the other day is uh um I just got access to a uh, some 84 acres really close to where I live cuz most of my hunt property is 3 hours away so yeah. I was I was just excited that I that I was able to do some bartering with a fella and and he gave me access to 84 acres. So I was up there just scouting and walking and looking. And it's like, oh, this is so much fun. I, I I love this looking for trails and rubs and found a lot of bear sign, which was exciting. Um yeah. uh even though I, you know, all I had was a stick with me, but still I know the bears are gonna run when they hear me coming. But uh um it was just for me, putting the puzzle together, you know, finding all the sign, trying to find the right tree to sit in or the right, or the right heel to uh, build a, a natural, I use a lot of natural ground blinds, um, um, just uh, if the topography allows, you know, and to me, that is the most exciting part. And when you can, when you can do all that and that deer walks by right where you think they're going to, man, that's exciting. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you're in their bedroom, so to speak, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, they, and the fact that they don't know you're there, like just just having that feeling, just the the feeling of your heart pounding, knowing yeah. that, you know, that deer standing, you know, 15, 20 yards away from you 
it has no idea you're there. It's just a, it's a feeling like none other. And it's, it's definitely something that continues to uh, want me to, or continues to drag me out into the woods at four o'clock in the morning. And and I I will be doing it, you know, as, as long as I can, as long as my, my body lets me. So (laughs) that's awesome. That really is. What other things do you hunt besides deer? You you mentioned uh, doves uh, earlier. So, yeah. So at this point, you know, I'm, I try to consider myself to be a, a general outdoorsman. I had a good buddy of mine who introduced me to hunting a lot of different species of game. Of course, mm-hmm. my dad introduced me to uh, deer, but my buddy Max, he introduced me to duck hunting, uh, turkey hunting, dove hunting, um, really just about any kind of any kind of season, anything mm-hmm. that's in, in season at the moment. It's something I, I enjoy going after. But so uh, if I had to pick, you know, as far as favorites go, because I've, I've been asked that before. It's been, it's tricky to kind of come up with something, but I mean, the, the sound of, of goblin in, in the spring, it's, it's hard to beat that because it's just, especially if it, if you get one close enough to you, I mean, it's hard to, hard to beat that, that turkey spring turkey season. You know, if, if I had to compare that to, to whitetails, as far as being, being up there in my, my top two, top three, those two would be definitely up there. I, I have to agree a hundred percent. Everybody who's listened to this podcast knows that, you know, I even had that book that came out in 2018 on turkey hunting. And, uh, um, I just, there's just something about the turkeys, but, but I'm like you though, Tyler, um, I'm an equal opportunity killer. If it's yeah. in season and I have an opportunity, I'm gonna go after it. Um, yeah, I mean, I love hearing beagles chase rabbits. I love, uh, sitting with my 22 waiting for squirrels in the morning. Um, I love the deer hunting. Um, probably, you know, I've been fortunate enough to get to hunt in some different places. And I would say, though, this on the on sidebar that um, other than what we have here in South Carolina, as you have Kentucky whitetails and turkeys and pigs, those are the things I hunt the most. Um, I'd say mule deer is my favorite. That is yeah. so much fun. And, and, and I can say that because I've, I've been on several elk hunts and never taken an elk yet. Um, actually, I guess I've never seen an elk while I was hunting. Um, mm-hmm. and, but the mule deer, it's just, there's just something to me, it's the prettiest animal in North America. I just think, yeah. I just love that, love their antlers and their gray face and stuff. But anyway, I'm sidebarring again. That's why I send questions <laughs> out ahead of time, man. I start talking and I just can't stop myself. <laughs> no, I, I definitely understand that. Definitely understand that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, definitely agree i've never been on a, a mule deer hunt but i mean there's just something about them especially how their antlers are kind of almost like field goal post yes but i mean for me i think you know if i had to pick an animal that i've never hunted that would probably be you know up there in my my list it'd have to be elk we have right. um, a huntable population here in kentucky in the the south the southeastern part of the state and but you have to put in a lottery for it so mm-hmm. you have to i put in year, every year yeah, I, 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 I haven't been picked yet, so I'm hoping to soon, but I mean, not yet, though. <laughs> do the residents have a better chance than non-residents? They should. They they say they don't. They say everything's just kind of equal, yeah. um, but I think you end up having more residents, obviously, that apply to it than, than out of state. Yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah. the, the numbers end up showing that you have more residents that actually come, but there are, um, I know of several non-residents that have come before and of course had some success and that kind of thing so uh, they say that it's it's supposed to be equal but i don't know and you know i i apply in uh for a license all over the country 
um, a lot of years, like this year, because of COVID, I just got preference points. Like in Wyoming, you can decide, okay, I'm not going to buy my license this year. I'm just going to buy a preference point. And for those who don't know what that is, is that means that um, a preference point basically puts puts extra your your name an extra number of times in the hat. So you build up a number of points and in certain areas have uh, like uh, the area I want to hunt mule deer in Wyoming, then you need at least six or eight preference points to even be considered to be drawn. There's that many people applying for it in that few tags. So I just keep buying these preference points because it's like 10 bucks. Right. But then when you, you know, and then when I think I have enough points, I'll say, okay, I'm going to go this year and I apply for the license and it gives me a better chance of being drawn. That's how that works. Now, the way I understand Kentucky is they don't have preference points for their elk. It's just an open lottery every time. Isn't that correct? Yes. Yeah. So you can, uh, they have three different uh, applications you can do. You could do a um, either sex uh, archery Mm -hmm. or you could do a, Actually, I may end up messing this up now. I'm thinking about it, but there are three different ones. I think it's a, a cow firearm, and maybe it's a uh, bull archery. I don't know. They, the the there are three different options. There are three. That you have and I put in I for all three of them every time. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So what they say is that you just you apply to it, and then everybody's name goes in a hat essentially, and then they draw however many tags they have, and then everybody else better luck next next year so yeah there's no preference points if you don't get drawn none at all right none at all yeah and that's uh and that's different i mean even here in in south Carolina, we only have one lottery hunt other than some of the some of the special ones which is the alligator and and if you don't get drawn this year then you get a preference point for next year and usually you can usually get drawn at least every other year yeah. for the for the alligator tag and and so you put in every year and you you know like i drew two years in a row then i didn't draw for a year then i drew again and, and so forth so um yeah and i like that i like that that system but also i think uh to some degree the way that kentucky does it is pretty daggone fair it's a it's we're starting yeah. from scratch every year so it is yeah. pure luck <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely fair but I know you end up with a lot of residents who are pretty frustrated every yeah. year after year because they're like, I've been putting into for this thing, you know, for 10 years. Yeah. I haven't been drawn yet. And then so and so down the street, he puts in one year and he gets drawn. So you end up having some people that end up not applying to it anymore or lose interest in it because they, they're like, what's the point? Because I can't really get drawn for it. So if they had some kind of, I don't, this is just my opinion, but if they had some kind of hybrid system where, you could have points as well as, you know, a lottery for, I don't know, a certain group of people, <clears throat> right, then you right. could probably increase some interest in, in the hunt. So I don't know. But you know, the fewer, the more people <coughs> that lose interest, the better chance I have. That's true. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> so let's don't encourage that too much. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a, there's, that's true. Yeah. There's three or four of us down here that keep applying for it every year. And we have the, the agreement. If one of us get drawn, we're all going. You know, yeah, <laughs> just more eyes, and we hunt. can help pack it out, and it'll just be fun to go because it's only, it's only what six hours away, as opposed to I've been driving to Colorado and Wyoming and Idaho to hunt elk, and that's a that's a thirty plus hour drive. So that's oh like, yeah, that's a trip. Know, yeah, it's for it me, is. it's about a for me, it's about an hour and fifteen minutes. So that's even better. <laughs> yeah, that's even better. I know where I can crash when I get drawn. Then okay, there you go. <laughs> All right. So, uh, t- Tyler, tell us about the uh, Rise, Kill, Eat podcast. I'm curious about 
um, how you come up with the idea, how you come up with the name, and um, and when you decided and how you decided just to jump into the podcasting world. Yeah, so the uh, Rise Kill Eight podcast was, like I said earlier, it's something that started about a year and a half ago. Um, it Actually, the origin of the Rise Kill Eight podcast goes back a little bit further than that. Um, my wife and I, we used to run a uh, like a Christian hunting apparel brand called RKE Afield. So the RKE, of course, stands for Rise Kill Eat, and it's Afield. So we had um, a brand we did for a couple of years where we had some hat designs and had some uh, t-shirt designs. And um, kind of as we were evolving that and kind of working it, um, I was coming up, I was just doing some planning as far as, you know, some marketing strategies to try to get it out there a little bit more. <clears throat> and um, I've always been somebody who I like to listen to podcasts. Like I, I've listened to Meat Eater podcast. I've been listening to that one with Stevie Ronella for, I don't know, probably four or five years now. Um, <clears throat> just the, the whole podcasting medium is something I've always been interested in. And it's something that I listen to during my commute to work and that kind of thing. So I was thinking, you know, some marketing strategies for this apparel brand that we had. And I was like, well, why don't I just start a podcast? Like, what, if I want to give this brand a, name, a voice, then why don't I literally give it a voice? So what I did was I started doing some planning. And um, of course, we just took the RKE from the RKE field brand name and uh, took that and turned it into the, the podcast name. So that's where you get the Rise Kill Eat um, from. On a, I'm on more of a shallow sense, but where the RKE, the Rise Kill Eat comes from is, of course, Acts chapter 10, verse 13. So it's when uh, the Lord, when Peter is having a vision and the Lord tells Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And that whole verse and really that whole chapter, the whole Acts chapter 10, it's about, you know, the gospel being for people. It's being for all, all walks of life. Like it's not just for the Jews like it was in the Old Testament. It's now for everybody, the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's what the whole, the whole Acts chapter 10 is all about. It's about a group of people and you know i'm i'm not a jew by genealogical means or you know geographical means or anything i'm a considered a gentile so the gospel is for me it's for everybody i mean it's for for all people of all walks of life all nations all languages and that's really what the the whole chapter is all about and you know of course rise kill eat rise peter kill and eat you know 10 13 it's kind of the start of that whole story so of course, the people who don't know aren't familiar with the Acts chapter 10 story. So uh, Peter is up on top of a roof, you know, praying, and he's hungry, and he ends up having this this vision because it's hot. I mean, he's out in the out in the desert, essentially. It's hot. It's in the middle of the day. He says it's probably around noon or so. <clears throat> so he ends up having this vision where this sheet comes down and on the sheet. I'm assuming like a bed sheet or something. I don't know. I guess that's, I guess that's kind of how I picture it. But this sheet comes down. It's got all kinds of animals on it, all kinds of four-legged creatures. And that's when God tells them, you know, rise, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Like here, here you go. Here's here's everything we have right here. And Peter, at first he den- he denies it. He says, No, Lord, I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. And then of course God responds, Anything that I've made is not to be considered unclean. And of course, that that whole story progresses into talking about, of course, different races, different nations and that kind of thing. And eventually you get to the point, like I was saying a second ago, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. And, you know, to 
have that, that I guess, summarized down into a few words, you know, Rise Kalita is, of course, where, where the name comes from, because that's what the whole idea of the podcast is. It's to, it's to mesh the world of hunting. So, of course, whenever we hunt, it's, it involves some violence. It involves some, some killing. But at the same time, life eats life, and we get to eat it at the, at the, you know, as a result. So, you know, Rise Kalita, it, it brings in a couple of different elements to to hunting and it brings in you know of course the element of the gospel being for everybody regardless of race you know regardless of nation regardless of what language you speak and that kind of thing so there's a, a little bit of a deeper meaning other than just the fact that we get to go out and get up in the morning go kill something and bring it home and eat it i mean it's a it goes a little bit a little bit further than that and i mean that's really what kind of got me into wanting to do the podcast and at some at one point this past fall i'd actually deeply considered uh, I guess discontinuing it because my and at the beginning of October my dad passed away so there was some time there where it was you know right in the middle of hunting season and I was like I don't even know if I if I want to do this anymore and you know after a lot of thoughtful prayer and a lot of discussions with my wife and with some friends uh, I ended up deciding to, to jump back into the the podcasting thing so I started releasing some episodes again this past spring and of course had Pete on here recently I'm going to I don't know when you're planning on releasing this episode, but his uh, his episode on on the Rascally podcast will post in the middle of September. So I'm excited to be able to share that. Man, that's a great story, Tyler. It really is. It's a uh, you know I I connected the Rascally with the with the scripture um, there, but I was curious as to what drove you to that, and and you explained yeah. it very well. You explained it very well, and. You know, as as a Christian who also loves the outdoors, but also trying to spread the good news, what would you say is your main mission behind the podcast? I mean, because we're doing, we're trying to do the same thing, and that's yeah. and I think that's wonderful. You know, I don't see that as competition. I see it as as more voices to try to share the the good news of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible, and and uh, and I'm just I'm thankful that you're out there. Um, but like my mission is to, as I've said many times, is to talk about the outdoors, help people enjoy the outdoors, but also help them to enjoy God. How can you enjoy God today? That is my driving force. What would you say is your driving force behind your podcast? I think the the mission behind the Rascally podcast is just to mostly be a resource for people who um, who prioritize that pursuit of God, freedom, and the great outdoors. So those are three different elements that are all kind of connected at the same time. Um, so of course, in order to pursue something, you have to, you have to be interested in it. You have to be, you know, it's a, it's a daily thing. It's not something that you just decide, you know, one day you're going to do and one day you don't, it's a, it's a constant daily thing. I mean, Jesus tells us to take over across daily. So we have to pursue that and we have to have the desire to do that on a daily basis. So basically the mission of the Rascally podcast is to be, a resource and to, to share the stories and to share the conversations and the ideas of people that are, you know, like-minded, you know, with, with things that are interested and passionate about the things that me and you are interested. That's of course our faith, our uh, pursuit of being out and outside. And then, you know, I just kind of summarize that by saying God, freedom and the great outdoors. So of course, freedom as, as an American citizen, as being, you know, living in what I believe is the greatest country on the, on the planet right now, regardless of what you see on the news, I, I still believe that. And of course our, our pursuit of, you know, the outdoors 
and then our pursuit of our relationship with God. And, and to kind of add to that, that freedom part, it's a, it's a, a freedom in, in Jesus. I mean, we have a, a, we've been reconciled with God. You know, we, we had, we were faced with the problem that we can't, we can't solve on our own. And that is of course death. And we are given a certain freedom through Christ because of his resurrection, right? He, he solved a problem that we couldn't solve. And you know, that if, if I can somehow bring together all those elements on the, on the podcast, then, then that would be, if I can even get close, then I would say that's mission accomplished. Absolutely. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, it is. And, and you're like me where some of the guests that we have aren't quite as comfortable talking about their faith and that's okay because yeah. others are and, and, uh, and we can't be all things to all people, but we can be most things to many people. And, uh, and I, I go back to uh, thinking, well, you, you know what, this person may not be comfortable sharing their faith, but they still have a good message for people who love the outdoors. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we can do that too, you know, and that's awesome. Um, let me ask you this. I'm going to change gears just a little bit, but then we're going to come right back to where you are. Um, yeah. What do you see as the biggest threat to hunting in the future? And how do we as podcasters address these issues? I think the biggest threat to hunting specifically would just be a, uh, I guess, a lack of interest as, as the gen- as the generations advance. So one of the biggest keys that I think we have as hunters now, I mean, we are, we're all, regardless of what age we are, I mean, we all have a certain responsibility to be, you know, role models and to be people that are going to uh, what I call extend the hunt for those, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. below us. Like I said, I have two kids and I want them to grow up in the hunting lifestyle too, because I think, I think it does something for us in our relationship with God. It, it does something for us with our appreciation for his creation. And Absolutely. if we're out, out hunting, you know, we have this, this close bond with the creator through his creation. I mean, just very similar to how uh, Romans one twenty tells us. So, I mean, I think the biggest threat is a lack of interest as we continue to advance because, I mean, there's a lot of people who right now, I don't know the numbers. I wish I had looked it up, but there's a lot of people right now who may support hunting, but they don't hunt. Right. So I, I'm not even sure if that's even really support because because right. um, if you're if you're buying your meat from the grocery store, which, of course, I mean, the vast majority of people are. You're not really appreciating that that whole process of what hunting does for people because i mean there's it, like we were saying before it's a, it's a whole process where you take the animal you process the meat out of the animal and you bring it home you cook it you know it has different recipes it's just a whole process and it brings a whole a whole i guess new appreciation for the animal and for god and his creation through that so i think the biggest threat is of course a lack of of uh I guess, interest as, as we continue to advance and as this next generation comes up and the one after that. Yeah. So just, so just, uh, less, less participation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Right. Less yeah. participation. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And I think as podcasters, I think the way that we can address that is of course to have conversations like this right here, right. where we can talk about more than just the killing. Of course, my podcast has the name, has the word kill in it. Okay. And that is part of it. And that's, that's why, you know, I, I chose to have that in there. But at the same time, it's not all about just the kill because there are other elements to it where, you know, there's the camaraderie 
of yes. you know being yeah. out in the in the woods with your dad or with your son or with your grandpa or with right. your friend or with that guy from church or maybe a guy who doesn't come to church and he's interested in hunting you get him right. out there and you can have real conversations with them so yes. i think there's a there's more to hunting there's more to the whole outdoors experience than than just the kill and i think you know people that don't have that experience that's all they see all they see is you know the gripping grin pictures of people sitting with their animal propped up and then of course everybody gets all upset over those things and but it's there's way more to the story than just that so to to be somebody who's a podcaster, I know you can really relate with this, but to be somebody who's a podcaster, we have the opportunity to be able to, to tell those stories in long form where you don't have just a picture or you don't have just a little clip or like a, a two minute, you know, series of kill shots where mm-hmm. you're knocking down, I don't know, a hundred deer in two minutes or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's way more to the story and it's our responsibility as podcasters and as hunters really to to be able to share those stories that way the the now the younger generation now the ones that are coming up the the young kids now as they continue to grow they can see what hunting truly is about right right let me ask you uh i'm gonna i'm gonna bait you a little bit here but since we're both podcasters we can kind of debate this openly Uh, i agree with what you said i think i think the lack of participation probably coupled with the the difficulty of access as here in the east more public Mm -hmm. land has been gone has been consumed by hunting clubs and by timber companies who don't allow hunting etc but that's a um i'd love to have that discussion with some people and i did recently when i had lindsey thomas on from the qdma and we were talking about their field to fork program and how they are using that to bring adults who have never hunted but always wanted to 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 bring them in and to teach them all of the steps of hunting and that is so much more than just pulling the trigger or or releasing the arrow it's so much more than that that uh, um um you know as you progress as a hunter and as you have taken game the the kill becomes anticlimactic for me it has and for a lot of people it has it it is a culmination of all the work that went in behind it now it is something that we do and it's something that i am not ashamed of because as you said so well i feed my family with it we eat venison and chicken i mean that's it and and i grow my own chickens for the most part but we eat venison and chicken and and it's organic it's clean i know where it came from we process it ourselves we, we we do the whole the whole thing um i've I've never paid somebody to clean a deer of mine or, or anything. I've always done that myself. And I just think it's the right thing to do. I think it's part of the process. Same thing with the dove, same thing with squirrels, rabbits. If I kill it, I eat it. Now, having said that, do you think that um, some of the outdoor television and the glamour that has been put on the actual kill has kind of put a bad taste in people's mouths or, or am I just reading too much into that? No, I think you're definitely right. And I think that's, that can uh, definitely drive people away. I mean, because, I mean, not to name any names, but if you have, you know, a, a show called Monster Bucks and then, you know, the, the good old boy from Kentucky who's only seeing, you know, 90, 100 inch deer on their 15 acres that they have, that they have the opportunity to hunt. Right. I mean, that, that can de- definitely put a damper on the way they think about, you know, those deer. I mean, that may be all that that guy hunts and he can hunt, only hunt, on every other weekend because he has a, a 
job, a second shift, third shift job that he has to work in order mm -hmm. to provide for his family. Right. So he may get discouraged because he's not seeing these 290 inch deer, 190 inch deer, you know, walking out on his, on his land. So I think that, that outdoor television is one of those things that, you know, there, there's a certain way that it can be done. I think a lot of people, they do it very well. I think they, they, they are, they excel at being able to tell the story and having a story connected to it. But I right. think whenever you have, you know, of course, uh, all these, all these hunters that this is literally their full-time job and they're on their, you know, $15,000 leases and, you know, they have all this, this property that they have available to them. Um, I think if, if you don't, if you don't handle it in a way where you make it known, like, Hey, this is not, <laughs> this is not normal, especially for a new hunter, somebody who's an adult trying to get into hunting, right? This mm -hmm. is not something that you're always going to see. I think you can really, um, you know, inadvertently kind of drive people away from it because they get disappointed that they're not seeing those type of deer. But at the same time, I mean, you have, you have shows like like one of my favorite buck ventures i'm actually a pro staff for the buck venture show i love the way that jeff and daniel and jaylee the way they put a story together because you know they they include the gospel into it they include right. you know their walk with jesus with right. it with right. their whole hunting experience of course they see big deer you know but they're, they're out there working hard like i'm i'm actually in the middle of trying to uh schedule jeff right now with the uh, episode on my podcast and he's out working all the time because he's getting ready for the season. So right. uh, these are, these aren't guys that, you know, have everything handed to them on a, on a silver platter. These are th guys that are out working and they, they work hard for what they've got. Right. Right. So I think there's definitely, um, when it comes to outdoor media, I think there's a good way of doing it. And I think that there's a harmful way of doing it as well because of what it could do to the, the average everyday hunter. Right, right. And you mentioned one, and I want to mention two others, and, and they don't sponsor this show or anything, but I just know them and, and have hunted with them and, and know that they are devout Christians and they do it the right way. And that's Ralph and Vicki Sansarillo of Archer's Choice yeah. and David and Karen Holder of Ray's Hunting. Those mm -hmm. are, both of those couples are um, uh, doing it the, the right way, in my opinion. I've hunted with both of them. I know both of them fairly well, both couples that is. And, and these are people who scout their own land and hang their own stands and, and plant their own plots and, and check their own cameras. And they do it all the, the, uh, the way the rest of us do it. Now, granted, they get to go to other places um, because that, that is their job, right? Mm -hmm. but, but when it comes to you know, the things that, that, that are in their control, they, they do it the right way. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I'm going to, you know, since, since we're both Christians and podcasters, we talked about what the threat to hunting is. I want to ask you this. Now I didn't send you this when this came to me while we were talking is what do we think is the biggest threat to Christianity today? And how do we as Christians and podcasters address that issue? Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. I think, um, I think this year, this calendar year has really uh, proven a lot of things. You know, the whole, um, I think at the at the end of 2019, everybody was excited about their 2020 vision and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think 2020 vision ended up being something that, uh, that we didn't really expect. And because it, what it did was it showed the true colors of a lot of people. So I think the, the whole, well said. the whole threat, yeah, so the whole threat 
you know, to Christianity is, you know, hard times, I think right now, especially in, you know, the Western American society, because we got it so good over here that we don't even realize it compared to other people who are, you know, they're in way worse situations than we are, yet they are still holding the faith strong. And we're here and we get upset if we, I don't know, if we don't get the job that we want, you know, if we don't get that $100,000 job that we're, we're wanting to get, you know, of course, that's a huge thing. This can be a huge blessing for a lot of families. But at the same time, like compare that to, you know, people in Africa right now who literally don't have water and right, yet right. they're still holding, holding true to the gospel. So mm-hmm. I think it's a, uh, I think, I think, honestly, I think comfort, I guess, is another way of putting it. I think for the American, you know, the Westernized Christian, I think comfort is the biggest threat to, to Christianity. And I think, you know, this calendar year, like I was saying, I think this has really made a lot of people uncomfortable. And for a lot of people, it's, it's kind of, um, kind of shown their, their true colors in a way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have kind of abandoned their faith and they've wondered like, God, where are you? Like, like, why are you letting all this kind of stuff happen? You turn on Facebook or the news or something right now, like God, where are you at? It's like, the, everything looks like it's out of control right now, but in reality, God's in control. I mean, he's, he's weeding everybody out and he's separating the goats from the sheep. And I think it's, that's really what's going on right now. And um, not to be, you know, uh, I guess in times minded, but I mean, I think, you know, that Jesus promised that this kind of stuff was going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. And, you know, it's happened in the past. There's been times where people thought the, the world was going to end, you know, in the 1300s with the crusades and everything. So, I mean, it was, it was, there's been times in history where we've had some, some things, you know, going on within the Christian faith. But I think the biggest threat to, I guess, to answer your question would just be comfort. And, and yeah, and I didn't fa- uh, phrase the question well, because I meant in America. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> when I asked the question, I said, Christianity today, well, wow, that's a big question, Pete. But I meant, <laughs> I meant here in America where, you know, where we live. And, and to tag on with, with what you said, and I agree completely. I hadn't thought about it that way. I love how you, how you phrase that, that it's our comfort could be our biggest threat. Um, one of the things that I've seen in 2020 is we have never in modern history, as far as, as far as America has been around, ever been told we could not go to church. Yeah. And here this year, we have been told, you can't go worship. I'm like, well, what do you mean I can't go worship? And right. I have a son who, who um, he's on his way back from California right now. They moved to California last year. And because of their governor, they're moving back home to South Carolina because yep. everything is shut down. They even said out there that you can't have Bible study in your home. You can't, you can't have any gathering of more than three people unless you're family at all. Yeah. And, and three may be the wrong number, so don't don't crucify me if I had that number wrong. But <laughs> but they could not attend church. They couldn't even have their little small groups. They could not gather at all. And what I see from for Pete is I miss church. I yeah. think I said this the other day. Um, I really miss it. And I um, um, I think one of the things that's happening. At least it feels like it, Tyler, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it feels like for the first time in my life, being a Christian in America is, is, is somewhat persecuted. Nowhere near what other countries have had to deal with, but it's the most that we've ever had to deal with. And, and uh, I mean, from the, from the left-wing politics or politicians who are doing all they can, it feels like, to destroy Christianity, 
to the laws that are being passed that go completely against all of our morals and values. And, uh, you know, from the abortion laws to the LGBTQ mm-hmm. laws to the trend to the uh, now, there's some states that are saying that pedophile, that pedophilia is natural. Yeah, and I've you should that. and you shouldn't prosecute against it. I mean, what kind of rock are these people crawling out from under? That is, you know, and, and so when I think about it strictly from a Christian standpoint, I'm thinking this is this is not just against common sense. This is against God. This is an attack against everything that God has told us is right and wrong. You know, and and it makes me as a Christian and as a podcaster ask myself, that's why I'm asking you what what is our role in this how far should we go and and what should we do to address these issues if anything mm-hmm. you know and i'm not sure yeah you know i don't know i mean other than what the bible says i don't know if there is a right answer right now but i think what's more i guess frustrating for me you know kind of looking at the whole situation is the amount of christians and pastors that are just allowing it to happen i mean if you have yes. you know pastors that they are choosing to keep their doors closed for, you know, whatever reason it may be, then I think that really becomes an issue with the health of the church. And I think a lot of churches are seeing a lot um, of their, their health, their church health really decline right now, because Mm -hmm. I mean, people like, like you and like me, we're, we're missing going to church. And if there's, you know, a church down the road that is having services, like I want to go there. I may become very involved there and I may, you know, I think a lot of churches are seeing that kind of thing. And I think it's the, the fact that we, I guess, going back to the whole comfort thing, if we're just comfortable enough with allowing other people to, to make to make decisions for us, rather than challenging those same people with the word of God and using the word of God and what Jesus and what the Bible says about situations like this, I think it's, unless we start to kind of push back and we and we don't hold true to what the Bible says, I think it's just going to continue to get worse. And uh, as much as I hate to say that, I mean, I think it's, I think it's true. And I think if we, you know, you give an inch, uh, they'll take a mile kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. I, think I think it's true with, you know, when it comes to faith, especially Christian faith, it seems like you don't really see a whole lot of this going on with other type of religions. And nope. but I think that's, I think that's very true with, you know, gun rights and all kinds of different things. You know, I had a, a conversation just, uh, what is today, Wednesday? I guess it was last Thursday with, with a pastor friend of mine. Um, he and I went to seminary together, and he's pastor of a church about 20 miles from here. It's a, it's a fairly large church. They have about 750 on Sunday morning, and, and, and they're still not open. And he was telling me about this email he got from a, a charter member. Um, so this gentleman's, you know, in, up in age. And he was saying, I don't understand why, why we're not open. Why yeah. can't we be open? People don't have to come. And he said, and, and here in South Carolina, it's like a 0.07% uh, sickness rate with the COVID, something yeah. like that. And this pastor said to me, he said, I want to ask him, which seven people do you want to die? Are you going to pick them out? And, and I just looked at him. I said, you're missing the whole point. I said, yeah. do you think before 2020, do you think people came to church sick with the cold, oh, yeah. with the flu, with, with, with some other ailment, bronchitis or, or, or mononucleosis or, or something else? Do you think people were coming to church before 2020 and were spreading germs? 
were catching something from the person in the pew behind you, never gave it a thought. You think when people go to football games and there's 80,000 people packed in there like sardines, that there's not somebody around you who's coughing and sneezing and not washing their hands, and you run the risk of getting sick. If you're going to be in public, you're going to run the risk of getting sick. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And and he and he was like, I hadn't thought about it like that. I said, well, you need to, because more and more people are really, really missing corporate worship. And and I think you're going to get people out of the habit of coming. And yeah. I think I think there's good there's there's um, there's good news and holy habits. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, you know, I and so he said, all right, we're, we talked about it a lot more than this. We talked about it probably an hour. Um, but now they're planning to, to open in two weeks, uh, yeah. get everything ready to get open. And I don't know if I had any, any input on it, but, but he was like, you know, now, now some members of the staff have family members that have compromised immune systems. And I said, then just don't tell them they don't have to be there. That's all yeah. you got to do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's that simple. You know, um, and I think that's true anywhere. How many times, I mean, I'm sure your principal tells you don't come to work if you're sick. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just standard procedure. It's standard yeah. procedure, but people go to work sick anyway because they're afraid right. they won't get paid if they don't go or somebody right. else is going to take their job or whatever it is. So, you know, I just think, I think that, uh, um, that we need to just be very cautious about some of the ways that the church is handling this. I like how you said it. I think there's a lot of pastors who are, um, and, and denominational leaders, let me put them in there, who are not yeah. handling this in a Christian way or, or a biblical way. And yeah. um, you can't protect people from everything. Um, mm-hmm. It's like I told him, I'm an adult, right? I can make my own decision. Right. If the door's closed, you've made the decision for me. Right. But the door is open and I say, you know what? I'm not feeling real well. Or I know that Bubba over here, he's been coughing and sneezing and he's probably going to be there. So I'm going to sit somewhere else where I'm just not going to go today or whatever it is. At least I have the choice to do that. And, right. and that's what I'm missing is, is that, is that choice. Yeah, um, definitely. All right. I'm uh didn't mean to get up on that, but I, I just, no, I, as we I'm were right talking about, you. as we were talking about, you know, how hunting has been impacted in America, I want to talk about how Christianity has been impacted as well. Um, yeah, it's so definitely been impacted. It really has. It really has. So let's brag about rice, kill, eat for a while. So, um, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, podcasting is, fa- is growing fast. Uh, yes. I think, I think you and I are, we're just ahead of the, of the train by getting out there. I'm uh, October one will be my one year anniversary. And so, and we both, uh, don't you release one every week? Yeah. I, right now uh, I'm doing one every week and yeah, I try I, to yeah. stay consistent with that. Right. Right. And, and you release yours on Wednesdays, right? Yes. Okay. All right. And it's available on, on all platforms and we'll come back to that in a minute. So mm-hmm. um, for, for any non hunters that may be listening to your podcast, what would you say to them about hunting and why hunting is important? Well, I think hunting is important for really just about everybody because of what uh, hunters represent. I think, you know, I think generally speaking, um, hunters, they represent, you know, the, the principles that America was kind of founded on. That was, of course, our faith, our uh, family, you know, working hard, getting out and, you know, working with your hands, getting, 
literally dirty with your hands and, you know, getting out there and just appreciating uh, God in the outdoors. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And I think that's why I think hunting is important for just about everybody because of what the hunter represents. And, you know, if it wasn't for hunters, you know, I think so many people have probably already heard these statistics and that kind of thing. But the reason that we have the, the wildlife abundance that we have now is because of the North American hunter. I mean, the, the North American model of conservation is one that has been incredibly successful. It's been one that, you know, you don't really see really just about anywhere else on the globe. And yet we have, we continue to have, you know, thriving populations of deer and elk and caribou. We're actually in the process, you know, in a lot of ways of restoring populations in areas of, you know, wild turkeys with NWTF. They're doing a fantastic job with that. Um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, of course, is working you know, here in my state, like we were talking before with elk. Um, and of course, out west, oh, we're seeing bison, you know, recovering. And I mean, the, the vast majority of what funds those types of projects is hunting. I mean, the, the purchasing of, of, license, of licenses and of course, firearms with excise taxes and all those kinds of things all of that money, it, it takes a lot of money to do those types of projects. And hunters are almost solely the ones that are funding these entire projects. So the, for the non-hunter who loves to go to Yellowstone and go to wherever else out West and take pictures of the bison, you can thank a hunter for that because it, the reason that that bison's there is because of the modern hunter. Now, of course, historically speaking, the reason that that bison wasn't there a hundred years ago is because of the reckless hunter. So I think what you see is you see a hunter that has, you know, I guess 150 years ago, but you see somebody, I guess a culture of hunting that has gone from the the market hunting from in the eight, in the 1860s and late 1800s that you know if it if it walks we're going to kill it and take its fur and sell it to now a different style of hunter who appreciates you know the the wildlife far more and. It's been a recovery, almost a resurrection, I guess, of wildlife ever since then, you know, thanks to people like Roosevelt, who kind of spearheaded the, the project. And of course, moving on up until, you know, all of us now, all of us who participate in hunting and who do it legally and ethically, we we have a way of, of being able to provide habitat and that kind of thing for, for animals. So I think for people that aren't into hunting necessarily, uh, you can certainly appreciate hunting because of the effect that it's had over the past, I guess, 150 years or so. Very well said. I got nothing to add. <laughs> you nailed it, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> so uh, uh, one more trans, uh, I lost a transition. That's what I was looking for. One more mm -hmm. transition here is um, you've talked about your faith, but you haven't shared your faith journey. And if yeah. you wouldn't mind, I'd love for the listeners and myself to hear your faith journey and to how you became a Christian and, and, and about your walk from beginning to where you are today, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, I don't mind at all. Actually, um, growing up, you know, being younger, I, I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. Um, I remember being really up until, I guess, about my, my early teenage years, right around the time that we moved to that farm in northeast or um, north central Kentucky. And I shot that deer right before that. Um, it was a pretty tough time, pretty tough childhood for, for myself. Uh, 
you know, finance wise, we didn't live in, you know, we lived in little apartments and stuff that were probably on the lower end of the spectrum. Uh, my dad, he, for as long as I can remember up until he, the day he passed away, really, uh, he struggled with, you know, different substances, uh, abuses and um, uh, addictions and that kind of thing. So all that kind of stuff, it just kind of reverberated, you know, being a seven, eight, nine year old kid, <clears throat> I could see, you know, of course, the the effects of how that was affecting, you know, of course, my parents' marriage and, you know, uh, my ability to be able to connect with my dad and that kind of thing. Because, you know, if, if he was at home, if he was from work, he was probably drinking something or uh, taking something out of a bottle or something. So it was it was pretty tricky at times. Now, I, I will say, you know, that it wasn't necessarily all bad because one of the great things, I guess, that came from the tragedy was, you know, of course, my, my dad, he always loved myself and he loved my sister and my, and my mom. So, you know, he, he always had that deep love for all of us, which, of course, is, is great. And uh, uh, but he had some of his own struggles with his own father. So I think, you know, that that kind of thing, I think it really allowed him to grow that, you know, that selfless love for us. But the biggest thing, I think, was that he didn't really love himself. I think that's really what uh, what kind of made it tough. And that's that's probably honestly why he struggled with the things he struggled with was because he just didn't love himself. He loved everybody around him, but of course not himself. So uh, he was in running with, you know, a, a crowd of people that that were, of course, in the part party and that kind of thing, being being younger. And, you know, I, I remember being uh, six, seven, eight, nine years old, 10 years old, going to these parties with my parents, you know, and playing off on the side with a couple of the other kids that there they may have been there uh, running around out in the woods or whatever at night. <laughs> but I remember um, uh one of the one of the couples that my parents they were good friends with, their parents the the other couple's parents they went to a church in uh, right on the the edge of Lexington and Georgetown, Kentucky. I don't know if you know where those are, but they went to a church down there, and uh, it was coming up on Thanksgiving. Um, of course, like I said, our economic situation wasn't that great, so what they were doing was bringing around food baskets and that kind of thing four different families and of course inviting them to church. So one night, yeah, I think it was like probably a week or so before Thanksgiving, they come knocking on our door, probably about eight, eight or nine o'clock at night. I remember dad sitting there, you know, I, I don't even think he was able to to get up out of his chair because at that point he was probably a few beers into to the night. So my mom ends up answering it and um, they give us the food. And of course we're telling us the gospel and uh, invited us to church. So I guess, I don't know where the process went from there, because again, like I said, I was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 years old at this point. So I don't know what the conversation looked like for my mom and my dad, but next thing I know, we're starting to go to church. And this is probably like the first time I've ever gone to a church. And I wasn't too excited about it because to me, you know, being an 11 year old kid who'd never been to church before, it was, it didn't sound very exciting. <laughs> you know, I wasn't too excited about the situation, but we went there for a while and um, <clears throat> eventually, you know, I got and started wearing on my heart and uh, ended up giving my life to Christ whenever I was about, I think, 12 or 13 years old. I was I was in middle school. I know that. I think it was going into my seventh grade year. So I guess, yeah, I was about, about that age. It's the same but, age uh, I was. Yeah. So it, it was, uh, of course, a tricky time. And then, you know, moving on from there, I just began to get more and more interested in learning more about God, uh, you know, 
middle school and high school, those are tough times for people. <laughs> you know, I think, I don't know of anybody that doesn't have some kind of struggle during that time. So of course, I'm just trying to figure out myself and figure out God throughout the process. And then of course that continued on through college Then um, graduated college about, I guess, six or seven years ago now. And ever since then, really here's more recently, you know, I've just really dived into trying to figure out who, who God is and who, who Jesus is. And, and the more I, I research it and the more God tells me through his word, the, the better it gets. So that's, that's really where, where the, the journey kind of goes. It started out, of course, not so well, but right now I'm blessed with an awesome wife and two healthy kids. So, Did you meet your wife in college? No, we actually met in high school. So I was, uh, yeah. I always like to pick on her. She was a, a year ahead of me. So, <laughs> so she's a year older than I am. But um, yeah, we met in high school uh, and we were high school sweethearts. We, she went off to Western Kentucky University while I was finishing up high school and she'd come back on the weekends and watch me play football on Friday nights. And then um, you know, she transferred to actually Kentucky State, which wasn't too far from our, our school. And then we went and ended up going to uh, Eastern Kentucky University together. So we went through college, got married after my sophomore year in college. I was 20 and she was 21. And well, we you were still first. in college, you got married? Yeah, well, we were still in college, we got married and uh, got us a little cheap apartment that I think we paid probably $400 a month for. <laughs> and uh, we, we had our first son, our, our first child, um, our little boy. We had him whenever I was a senior in college. So, My goodness. So it, see, we were living life, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, see, I've been threatening my I, – I have two still in college. And then one – so I have five total, two married – two in college and one is a senior. And I've told the two in college, I said, you are not getting married till you graduate. <laughs> <laughs> you are not. Because if you do, I'm not paying for it anymore. I mean, you're on your yeah. own. Then. I mean, if, you do, if you're old enough to do that, you're old enough to pay for it. <laughs> right. and, and they're yeah. like, and college is hard enough. It you is. Know, yeah. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's hard enough without that. So y'all, y'all uh, um, had a, uh, a tough road to hoe, but it sounds like that you've done very well with it though. Yeah. But I think the thing about, you know, getting married early, I'm not necessarily telling your kids to go get married, obviously, but, but the thing about getting married, you know, young was that, you know, both of us, both my wife and I, we, we come from, you know, backgrounds where, you know, at, once we got married, it was basically, it was up to us. Like we had to figure life out and right. it was either lean on each other or, it ain't going to work out. So we obviously chose to lean on each other, figure life out together. And I think, uh, our marriage is stronger because of it. So, well, why don't you brag on your marriage a little bit as you're, as a Christian, um, I'm, I'm assuming that your wife is as well. How, yes. how has that, um, how has that journey together been? Oh, I mean, up to this point, I mean, it's been great. I mean, we, <clears throat> we, like I said, we've had two beautiful, healthy kids um, we've really tried to, we figured life out together. We, you know, our whole growth in our faith has grown as our marriage has grown. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I try to love her like Christ loves church. And then of course she, you know, respects me because of it. And I think those are the two key elements of, of a successful marriage. I mean, I've only been into it for I guess eight years now, but, but from what I yeah. can tell and from the reaction we've had so far, that it's working. So we're going to continue so to just keep to doing do that. that. That's <laughs> keep right. on doing that. So that's right. Why change it if it's not broke? That's, exactly that's right. right. That's exactly right. Well, you know, the, the thing I told both my kids when they were getting married is, is, um, 
marriage is not 50 50 because if you're only giving 50 percent, it's going to fail yes yeah. it's a hundred hundred and yes. sometimes it's 110 85 yeah or, or whatever the math works out to be um because sometimes you're having a bad day and she needs to carry the load sometimes she's having a bad day and you need to carry the load that's yeah. just uh, um that's just the way it is but if you think you that you can only get 50 percent for it to work it's not going to work you got to give 100 percent every day all day and uh, she has to know that she is the light of your life that god is first and she is second and everything yep. else is third and yep. uh, and vice versa for the for the girl because i have three girls and two boys and so i told my daughter that too you know he, he has to know that god is first and he's second and he has to be okay being second mm-hmm. you know and yeah, uh, absolutely um, and that's how it has to work so that's man what a great story what a great story tyler thank you for sharing that yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you it. for sharing that. I know I've kept you on here a long time. And we've talked about a lot of things. So no, that's fine. <laughs> I want to start um start winding it down a little bit here, but I'm gonna ask you the same question I ask all my guests, and that is, you know, the the driving force, as I said, of Christian Outdoors podcast is to encourage people to enjoy the outdoors and to find a way to enjoy God every day. So how would you encourage the listeners to go about and enjoying God every day? Yeah, I think it's I think what it comes down to is it has to be something that is, um, I guess, a way to, to, I don't know, this is it's trying to think of how I want to say this, but basically I think what it comes down to is it's got to be something that is on your mind all day, every day. Like it's not something that you just do on Sundays, uh, you know, pursuing God. It's not something that you just do in the mornings. Uh, it's not something that you just do at night before you go to bed. It's something that, you have to do, you know, all day, every day, you have to transform your mind, just like the Bible tells us to do, to be, to enjoy God and to, to pursue him. And that's, I think, you know, for me being, of course, a husband and a father, and then a, a hunter and whatever else comes in after that, um, you know, I think it's, it's important to see how God can, can and should influence our lives in every aspect of our life. If there is a you know, a, a certain point in our life or a certain aspect of our life that, you know, like, God, I don't want you to touch this, then I think we need to reevaluate because whether it be finances, it be your marriage, it be, you know, your health, your kids' health, it, um, your hunting, you know, whatever it is, whatever, whatever aspect, whatever category and box you have of your life, God has to have his finger in all of it in order to truly be able to enjoy him because, and that's the only way that you're really going to be able to, um, to experience God is if he, if he, you have completely opened up your heart, taking your heart out and giving it to him, allowed him to, to infiltrate. So I think that's the best way to, to kind of enjoy God on a daily basis. You no, know, obviously not just in hunting, but of course, in every aspect of life. You got to give him everything. Yeah, exactly. Right. You got to give him everything. Well said, but Tyler, Thank you so much for being on the show with me. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up and uh, um, tell people how to find you and follow you on all the social media and, and your podcast and everything else? Well, I just want to thank you for the opportunity for, for being on the Christian Outdoors podcast. This was a real fun experience. It's been fun to kind of go through my whole story. I don't know if I've ever had the opportunity to really do that. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that. Thank you. You're quite welcome. So how does somebody, so Rise, Kill, Eat podcast is available on 
Uh, I know it's available on Apple's on the Apple yeah. Podcast app and on uh, where else is it available? Yeah, so it's available on Apple. It's available on Google, YouTube. I put uh, the full episodes on Facebook, um, Breaker, Pocket Cast. Uh, there's a whole list uh, on Anchor. So really, pretty much the, a lot of the main aspects, a lot of the main places that you listen to podcasts, it'll be available on Spotify. It's available on there. So okay. check out the Rice Kill Eat podcast. And on Instagram, you can find me at the handle at Rice Kill Eat all together. And then on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash RKE field. So that's RKE as in Rice Kill Eat a field. Okay. All right. That's, a, that's awesome. And, uh, and, and I want to encourage the listeners out there who are listening to this, subscribe to Rise, Kill, Eat. Uh, it is a great podcast. We, while we do talk a lot about the same things, we're different people and we approach it differently. And, mm-hmm. and, and we, we have different guests on the show at times. And so um, I want to encourage you to, 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 to subscribe. I'm, I'm trying to talk too fast here. <laughs> I want to encourage you to subscribe to the Rise, Kill, Eat podcast and, uh, and follow him on all the social media stuff because he has a great program. And it's about bringing people into the kingdom, helping people to enjoy the outdoors and helping people to uh, recognize that, uh, that a, a life spent outdoors and a life spent with Christ is a life worth living. And, uh, and Tyler, I appreciate what you do. I pray for you and I pray for your podcast to be, be very successful and be able to reach a lot of people. Thank you so much for being on the show, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. It's certainly my pleasure. <laughs>